Hey guys, I'm Lorena and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad that you're here and we want to connect with you and your family. So please text River Connect to 97000 and you can also um, visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and all the upcoming events we have. And lastly, if you want to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321 or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to the River Church 8 o'clock and 10.30 gathering. Uh, we are excited that you are here, um, and it is family month, and so we decided as a church to join together uh, and have uh, both of our gatherings come together, and so it's exciting for us to do that and have a little blend of, of a hymn that uh, just loved and, and, and just worshiping together and just the excitement I saw an 8 o'clocker in the lobby uh, right before uh, I came up here, and she was just so excited. She's like the so many people and people I haven't seen. And then uh, as I was uh, you know, singing over there, there was a young man that's only been saved for a few years. And I said, have you ever heard this song before? He's like, nope, only the Caleb version that's a little bit different than this, but not this one. <laughs> and, uh, and so just, just awesome. I'm, I'm just excited for it. And I, I will tell you, I was a little tempted, a little bit. I, I mean, just a little bit. Eight o'clock this morning as I was watching in the lobby to see if anybody would show up. I was tempted to write raptured on the, on the glass doors. I was just... <laughs> thought about it. I didn't do it. But I, uh, you know, I thought about changing my voicemail also. So when somebody called and be like, this ascending into heaven is amazing. Probably won't call you back. You know, like that. Just leave that as my voicemail. Uh, but I didn't. Um, but just... To gather together. I've been excited for this. Uh, I love the church and, and coming together and one big happy family, right? Yeah, and we can clap to that, except I know one of you is sitting there going, I don't think the guy next to me, they thought that song was way too loud. And the person to the other side of me thought that other song was way too 1867, right? And the parking lot and the way people park and, and now I have to sit next to somebody and look what they're wearing and their hair. You know, like all of these things that we can say, you know, one happy family, but even in family we have some problems, don't we? Now as we enter family month, I, I really, I say that statement, one happy family, because I know when I do, it can bring up a lot of different emotions, because a lot of us have hurts and sorrows and struggles in family, don't we? That we look and go, well, Pastor, maybe uh, one big happy family is probably that family over there. Those four, they always look perfect. And the daughter's hair is always combed. And they're not screaming in the gathering. And on social media, their pictures are always so perfect. You know that's all a facade, right? You know, social media is just one of 78 pictures because the other one, the four-year-old, was biting the ear of the six-year-old, right? We know this, right? It's just, just like this image, this facade to go, look at this. You know, we have, uh, you know, we post pictures. Last Sunday, I posted this picture of my family and said, man, it's great to gather with the family, right? It's so wonderful. I didn't post this picture, though, of yesterday when my son was driving my wife crazy. <laughs> 
right? I didn't post that one. We're just trying, what do we do? And he's like in this like, you see that's like an evil smile, you see it? Almost enjoying it. It's not good. Why? Because we can look and go, oh, pastor, your family's perfect. No, no, we're not. We're not perfect. We need the Lord. We need his truth. We need his word. And that's in a world of brokenness where the family is broken. We need the truth of the Lord poured into our family. And sometimes I even, I hesitate because we talk about hurt and sorrow. But listen, there is joy in family. Can I tell you? Even we talked about one big happily church family. Some of us clap because there is joy. There is goodness in the family. So this morning, we're going to study, this, this month, we're going to study the book of Ruth. The Bible is so amazing. The Bible doesn't gloss over difficulties. We're going to study the book of Ruth, and what we're going to find out, it's a mess. The family is hurting and struggling. It is heavy. They are deceived. It is just just like yours. They need the Lord. And so I hope this month you'll read with us and study with us. You, you hear me over and over again as, as we study a passage. Like last month, we're studying about the church in Philippians. I said, hey, will you, will you read along with us? Not just on Sunday, but you read on, on Monday and Tuesday. The same thing this month. Will you read along with us? Ruth is an Old Testament story. And I want you to read it, and, and, and it hopefully helps you understand and to grow. So I'm going to take, um, well, let's first read Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says this. In the days when the judges ruled. Now, first off, let's understand that. Understanding here in the book of Ruth, Old Testament, that after Moses and Joshua, after they led before King David came along as king and Solomon and then all the other kings before that, in between that was a time, we have the book of Judges, why? It's a time when judges ruled over the Israelites. And Judges 21-25 explains what's happening at this time. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They weren't following the Lord. They had made it to the promised land, but they're not trusting in the Lord, and it's a mess. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn into the country of Moab. Bethlehem. Old little town of Bethlehem, yep, same place. A long time before, right? Probably a thousand years before. Right around that timeline before Jesus is born in Bethlehem in the lineage of David because David was from Bethlehem. We have a family, Bethlehem, but they leave. There's famine in the land and so they leave. They go to Moab. Now again, a little Bible history. What is Moab? Moab was in constant conflict with Israel. They were warring Moab was a man who was born to Lot. Abraham's nephew, Lot, had a son by his daughter. 
Again, the Bible is truthful. And when you read the Old Testament, I want you to be careful because sometimes we read it and go, well, that's what's supposed to happen. No, that's what did happen. This is what people did, and it's not always telling you this is what you should do. It's saying this is what happened. You need to see it. The Bible tells us plain and clearly. So the, the Moabites, they were in constant conflict. In the time of the judges, right, there were time where they ruled over the Israel. It, it was a mess. The Bible says the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Milion, uh, Malon and Chilion. Now you may say, whoa, I love how they picked out their name, Malon, chill, I gotta try that out. <laughs> no, the, the meanings of their names were sickness. It was the, the meaning of one. I think the other one was, was wasting. So as they went in the country of Moab and remained there, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left there with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years, and both Milion, Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. In these first five verses, I know it may be difficult, but see the pain in family. What has happened is they chose not to trust God. And God said, hey, this is where I want you at. And you may ask, how did God say that? Well, God clearly through the laws and the Moses, what Moses taught and what the word of God came to them and said, hey, this is where I have you to be. This is what I want you to do. Trust me. And they didn't. They took matters into their own hand and their family and they left. They lived in Moab. They then married into, right, the, the sons now married these two ladies. Again, when it points to the law, like, hey, this is what I have for you. They said, no, we're going to choose. Instead of what God tells us to do, we're going to do what we want to do. And then in all of this, her husband dies. Naomi's husband dies. And then her two sons die. And Barry Webb, one of the commentaries I read, he said it like this. He said, this brings us to some major questions. In just the first five verses, what future does Naomi have now? Especially in a male-dominated world, they're all gone. Can she ever recover from this? Can her emptiness ever be filled? These are the questions that we come to. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. In a place and family where you're saying, man, can I recover from this? Lord, where, what are you doing? Where, where are you at? And this brings us to the wonderful story of Ruth. Again, the Bible is so amazing because it doesn't, sugarcoat it. It shows us what it really is. And I hope you will read this book over and over. It's only four chapters, but just to consume it, to read it. Listen, the Bible is powerful. 
Let it shape your lives. Let it, let it mold you and, and go to it. And don't let this just be a Sunday school thing or a Bible study thing or a Sunday morning thing. But read it and let it mold you and shape you. It's fantastic. We have new believers in the church. And so I'm meeting with new. I had dinner with one this week and we talked about it. He's like, what's next? I said, why don't you start reading the Bible? I'll read along with you. Let's just start reading God's word. It's wonderful. It's so exciting. But we go to the word of God. And I love what one pastor said. He, he brought it back. He said, hey, let's focus on the study of God's word. So maybe just a little side note here. How do we read this? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, this is the New Testament, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God. So there are some specific words here like doctrine and reproof and correction and equipping. So what does the word of God do when we read it? One, it teaches us about who God is. Right? It lights up his ways and how, he, right, how we respond, what he does, what he doesn't do. When we read the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, we see these stories and we see patterns of how God's work, how God works so that when that happens in our lives, we can see, yes, this is who God is. And when things happen and people go, well, that must be God. You go, no, when I read the Bible, that, that's not who God is. This is letting the Bible shape us in the teaching to know him. And then the word of God brings reproof. What does that mean? It convicts us. It speaks to our conscience. And it points out sin. His light brings and says, here's the darkness. So that reproof brings us to a place of repentance. So when we read God's word, we learn about God, but we also have his conviction on us. So we go, God, I see it. Maybe I repent of it. What does that mean to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm not doing that anymore. Then there's correction. This is a picture of rebuilding then. It's a healing, a restoring. It's a transformation of our lives. And the last big word here is equipping. Reading the word of God equips us, one said it this way, to better prepare you to serve Jesus. This is why the Bible is so important. This is what the word of God does. So may we study it. And here as we look to the book of Ruth, one commentary says this way, God allows us to see the kind of things he does so that we may trust him when we see similar patterns woven into our lives. The author of the book, when he writes this book through the spirit, this is through hindsight, his voice gives us hints and clues about what God is doing in the situation. And if we listen carefully to it, we will begin to detect the hand of God. And as you read God's word, you'll see that ultimately the word of God, the whole thing points to Jesus. That's why Luke 24, 27, Jesus says in the beginning with Moses and the prophets, 
He interpreted them in all the scripture, the things concerning himself, that it all points to Jesus. So you'll find in this amazing book of Ruth what's going to happen. You're going to find the redemption of the Lord and Ruth, a part of the line of David. David, a part of the line of Jesus. And you see the redemption of the Lord here, all pointing to Jesus. So let's dive into chapter one. You may say, Pastor, that was a long intro. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Verse six. Then she, who, Naomi, arose with her daughter-in-law, with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Naomi loses her husband and her sons. It's been at least 10 years, maybe a little longer than that. She's been away from it, left her family, left it all. Naomi decides to go home. She returns home. This first chapter, when you read it, if you read it this week, if you're going to read it, just circle every time you see the word return. Every time you see the word turn back, gone back, brought back. You see here the Hebrew word is S-H-U-B. It is used in verse 6, 8, 10, 16, 22, back, and then for turn back 11, 12, 15, 21. The whole chapter is about going home. And you see Naomi, it is heavy and difficult read verse 6 that her daughter-in-laws come with her. No children, two of them. They began to head back to Bethlehem. And at some place in that trip, it may have been three steps out of Moab or three steps before they got to Bethlehem, she turns and she tells them, listen, why don't you just go home to your family? What? You don't need to go with me. And as you read it, you'll find their family. It seems they love each other. You'll find this very emotional time where they weep together. And Naomi in this heavy, very difficult place says, hey, why don't you go back? I'll go home by myself. Now, as you study the New Testament and the Old Testament, this emphasis of returning is really interesting. In the, in the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, you'll find there, there's this journey to get to the promised land, a place where God says, hey, I have this land for you. And I believe it was less about the land and more about them being with the Lord and trusting the Lord and following and having this relationship with the Lord. So all throughout the Old Testament, you'll find this battle, the struggle, as they try to trust God, don't trust God, fall out of trusting God, keeps showing up over and over and over again. And God calling them to come home in relationship with them. Even in the New Testament, it addresses this. In Hebrews chapter 4, 
In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. What this is saying, it's talking about entering into that promised land, entering into the relationship with the Lord, finding rest and peace with God. So what has happened with Elimelech and Naomi is they missed the relationship with God. They missed what God had for them and they chose a different path. They missed the rest. We don't know how that happened. Was that Naomi going, hey, we need to leave now. Let's go find someone. Was Elimelech going, no, I'm going to lead and take this. We don't know. But now there's this brokenness, this not even sure going home. I just want you to kind of feel her hurt and pain and even embarrassment. I think part of why, just kind of... Looking at it, I think maybe she's telling her daughter-in-laws to go home because if she goes back, they're going to be an embarrassment to her. Because it's, again, another sign of, hey, we didn't choose to do what God wants to do. We chose to do what we wanted to do. And as you read chapter 1, something happens in Naomi's life. That happens to so many over and over when I see them not trusting the Lord. Here's what happens. Deception. As you read chapter 1, you will find Naomi has these thoughts and they're not true. You'll find Naomi going, she thinks this and this. Let me show you a couple of them. First, Naomi thinks she knows what God is doing. I don't know if you've wandered away from the Lord before and ever got a place where you see or you, you've seen people in your life that you love, they wander away and they go, well, this is what God's doing. You look and you go, no, this is Naomi. In verse 13, she says, at the very end, no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi believes the Lord is just pouring out his wrath upon her life. She believes this is all just a punishment for doing wrong. And now she is bitter. When she gets back to Bethlehem, she says, I don't want you to call me Naomi, which means pleasant. I want you to call me Mara, which means bitter. She thinks that God is pouring out his wrath and God is saying, you've done wrong and now I'm going to pour out my discipline because I'm an angry God who wants to mess up your life. Can I tell you, when people walk away from the Lord, they will let Satan deceive them and they'll start to believe lies about who God is. This is what Satan does. Satan goes, is that, are you sure that's, this is what God's doing. God's not doing that, God's doing this. Remember Adam and Eve, what did Satan do? Satan said, hey, Adam, are you sure that's what God said? I don't think so. There's the questioning of who God is. So when 
in our families, we decide to choose our own plan. What Satan's going to do is when things happen, they're going to say, hey, uh, God, or excuse me, Satan, the deceiver is going to pull you and go, this is what God is doing. I love what one pastor said. He said, as you read the Bible, you'll understand who God is. That God is not that all-powerful boss who blames the company's misfire on his employees. He doesn't change into someone different because he had a bad day or because you had a bad day. He is not a dad who is trying to make you tougher by slapping you down every time you get near reaching a bar of success. He is a good God through and through. A wonderful, merciful, kind, gracious God who is drawing us back to come home. This is what he's doing. What happened is Naomi is deceived. As you keep reading, she's deceived. She says, God, the almighty God. She uses the name for God, Al Shaddai, which means almighty. She says, the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. What's so interesting, using, you can know the name of God, but forget the power of God. She uses the powerful name of God, but forgets what God can and will do. She thinks she knows what God is doing, but she's missing what God is doing. And then she thinks she knows what's best. She comes to these girls that I believe she loves, and she says this, hey, Why don't you go back to the gods of the Moabites? You'll find rest in them. That's what she says. See, what can happen so often when we walk our family away from where it should be, we start to think, hey, I know better than what God knows. That my plan, it's going to turn out better. And this was Naomi. Why? She's deceived Satan's a liar. He's good at deceiving us. She thinks she knows what that she thinks she knows what God is doing. Listen church, God is the infinite God and we are not. We are finite and and sometimes can I tell you we don't know what God's doing. If we don't understand it, but when we know who God is, whatever it is, we can sit and trust to go, I know God's love and I know God's peace and I know, and I don't get it, but God's got me. And sometimes after it all, we can look back and go, yep, that's what God was doing. And sometimes you're not going to find out till heaven to what God was doing. I talked to my mom this morning. I spoke many times of my, my dad and how my dad came to know the Lord in the middle of his life. He was 32 years old, and before that, he, he was um, an addict. He lived a crazy life. This was long before me. See, when my mom was 15, my dad was 18. They had their first child, and then 16 had their second child. I share. 
It was a mess. Third child came along when my mom was 18. So, and then throw addiction and a mess into all of that. When my mom was 17, her father was killed by a drunk driver. My mom was 17, and so through all of that, and the insurance companies, everything, there were lawsuits. My mom had a sibling, and so they won all of this money, and my mom could not receive the money until she was 21. My mom said she dreamed about that money. Because when she was 21, she'd get that money and it'd give her a way out. It'd give her a chance to leave. There was no way before that. And when my mom turned 21, she went to go get the money. It was all gone. My mom looks back now and goes, wow. Look back what God was doing. That I can look and go, God, how could you do something like to take what is, what were you doing in the whole time? Can I tell you, I'm really thankful for the Lord working way upstream. Really thankful. Because the Lord moving and doing things that we would go, what are you doing, Lord? And it's the loving, wonderful God going, hey, I just want you to come home to me. I just want you to come home. Knowing who God is. In all of this, in the story of Ruth, what you will find is the Lord bringing Naomi and Ruth home. One book said the rest of the book will be about Naomi discovering and rediscovering God as her redeemer And being overwhelmed by his rich generosity to her. See, in verse 6, she said, hey, I heard that back in Bethlehem, the Lord has supplied food. Or the literal translation is, the Lord has given them bread. And she returns home. It's very similar to the New Testament story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells us of. We see the story of God's love in Luke chapter 15 that his son leaves him and rejects him. His son looks at his father and says, I want my inheritance. Basically, dad, I want you to be dead so I can have my stuff. And he lives a life that rejects his father. But in Luke 15, 17, it says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough Bread. But I perish here with hunger. She keep reading, it's so amazing. He says, I will rise and go to my father and say to him, I've sinned against heaven before you. In verse 20, he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What do we see? Who God is. 
And maybe you're like Naomi and in your hurt and your embarrassment wondering when I get back home, what's going to happen? And you can see who the Lord is calling you to come into the relationship with God saying, I love you. I care for you. The Lord comes running out to his son. It's beautiful. See, so many times in the Bible, you see people coming back to the Lord. Abraham, Jacob, the prodigal son. And I find it so interesting that Naomi said, I got to go back. Why? Because there's bread. That's what Bethlehem means, bread. The prodigal son says, I'm going to go back. Why? Because my father has bread. I can't help, as one author said, to point me to John 6.35 that Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Again, one man said it this way. Come home. Come home to God who made you and loves you and is the only one that can fill your emptiness and meet your deepest need. Come back empty. Come back with small expectations if you have to. Come back bitter if you must, but come back. And you may have been away for 10 days. It's too long. One year, it's too long. One month or even one day. May you come back home. The Lord God Almighty is calling you to come home to be with him, to trust him, to know that he loves you. Eight o'clock gathering, I couldn't help but sing all week that hymn, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. He's watching and waiting, waiting for you and for me. Come home. Come home. Thank you, Lee. May this morning we know the love of God. And as we read his word, see his love and his care. See his truth. And you may ask, Pastor, what, does, what, what do I do? One, see the conviction of sin and repent of it. Say, God, I know this and I repent of it and turn away from it. Maybe you've never trusted the Savior, God's Son, Jesus. See, this all points back to him being the Redeemer. And maybe you've never truly accepted him as Savior. This morning, you can come home and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Receive eternity as your home and a relationship with God. That is just repenting of our sins 
and saying, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and you rose again. I believe in you. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins and save me, and he will. Maybe you've been living in the deception. Can I tell you, you need the church. What I mean that you need people around you because the world, they're going to tell you a bunch of lies. Yep, this is what you should do with your relationship. Yep, this is what you should do with your marriage. Come to the church and people who know the word and they'll pour into you so you can see the lies of Satan, the deception. To turn from that. So grateful for the word of God. May we know the loving God and see who is calling for people to come home. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your love. Lord, just pray your Holy Spirit spoke to hearts. May you be glorified, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.